So, so now Freebird.io is online. It's been online. It's coming into its sixth year. Sixth year. Yeah. Its sixth birthday will be in December. Yeah? It will be. So, as director, how does one develop and grow a free online resource as dynamic and engaging as Free Buddhist Audio? Yeah, how is how maybe how has it grown over the five mm. years? But then your leadership of it. Are there any particular aspects around that that you? Well, how how do you develop and grow something like that um, with as much joy as you can muster and with a great deal of difficulty? <laughs> is the, probably the short answer. Mm. I imagine patience is patience. Yeah, you need to you need to develop. That's true. You need to develop a real sense of patience, mm-hmm. and you do need to have a real emotional connection to it. You need to believe in what you're doing mm-hmm. for reasons that are bigger than you. Mm-hmm. If you ever want to knock on the head the human tendency to kind of want to be in charge and run everything, you should take on a big project and try and run it yourself. It definitely taught me a lot when we did the digital legacy project, running something that's that's big on your own, definitely removes the desire to ever have to do anything on your own again like you want to work with people after that so that was good with Freebooter Studio and, and the development of Freebooter Studio was a story of, of different people coming in and throwing their energy in with me and, and mm. getting behind a, an ideal and I suppose a vision that again touches back to the Buddha and your own practice of inspiration from the Buddha where there's this great material, it's talking about life in a in a non-abstract way, in a way that's going to help people change their life and, and have a happier, more productive, fruitful experience of life, more creative experience of life with others. And you know, how can you how can you manifest something that's gonna help that happen? Mm-hmm. Um so we launched Freebooter Studio and you know, as I said earlier, to a deafening silence more or less, like and, and it, uh, I, I think from the early days I had a kind of relatively sanguine view of it. I got down sometimes because it wasn't widely used at first, but I kind of figured it would take people quite a number of years to really take that on. Mm. And that continues to be true for new websites that launch these days. Um, unless you've got millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars to throw at it, it's unlikely to attract a big audience immediately. Word of mouth takes a long time. Mm. And when you don't have a, a huge community either, it mm. takes a long time. Mm. So we were we were ahead of the curve with that, and we within a year or so people did start using it, and I think we had something again like fifteen thousand people a month using the site, and um, we got feedback from them. And one thing that always I always find personally funny for some reason about Freebooter Studio was after a year we redesigned the whole thing. It looked exactly the same, but we we quite radically restructured how it worked based on how people were using it. You know, you have to guess how people might use such a thing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we guessed right and sometimes we guessed wrong. Or it was just, the, you know, we realised ourselves that you could improve the structure or, or change it. So we kind of relaunched it after about a year and a half, I think it was. And mm-hmm. by that point, it was starting to be widely used inside of the the community but also we noticed a lot of people were using it who weren't Buddhists who weren't part of our Buddhist community at least mm. and realised that it was very good to start pitching it towards introductory material too so that as well as being a, a deep archive you had a kind of friendly front door that mm. helped direct people to basic information on meditation and Buddhism and uh, Akasha Priya continued to work with us but then he he wanted to move into other areas too and um he needed to to be paid and we didn't necessarily have the resources to do that at that point and 
uh, we had to find somebody else to work with. And again, in terms of friendship, around about 2009, I think it was, we began to talk to Smudradaka, who had been ordained with us and had developed a friendship with us mm. and had got into web coding. And uh, we kind of basically took him on in a sort of training role and he trained with us and learned pre-Buddhist audio. And we were also particularly interested in working with Smudradaka on other websites like thebuddhacenter.com, that whole project. Mm. So he worked with us for a year or so just learning what we'd done and, and, and starting gradually to take that on. And actually, the first project we worked on with him was a, a second redesign, a quite major redesign of Freebird Studio that launched, I think, in 2011. And we basically started from the ground up and rewrote the whole thing. Mm. In Because the internet was changing so fast and the way that people used audio online and accessed audio online, mobile devices, all those things that had come in that just didn't exist when we, when we launched. Mm. Uh, I think the relaunch was in July 2010, actually. Was it 2010? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. See, I, I now don't yeah. remember yeah. anything. Yeah. Yeah. So that was 2010, that makes more sense, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, 2010, um, we again decided that the internet was going to change in ways that we needed to be at least level with or ahead of. Mm. I'll not go into the technical side of it, but um, more and more people needed to access things without downloading them. People started to have broadband connections in a way that they just didn't when we launched. And also, mobile devices were connected all the time. You didn't need to go home and download and plug in and sync and take away. You could actually just go online and listen. And again, amazing possibilities and implications for a project that wants to disseminate as widely as possible. So we decided to embrace as much of that as we could. It's a bit of a frustration that we don't have we don't have huge resources as a charity, so we can't really embrace mobile stuff as fully as we'd like to. But it was certainly good to rewrite the website in a way that would function in those new mm-hmm. kinds of spaces with those new kinds of internet technologies. Mm-hmm. And it was a good, it was a chance for Smidjudaka to really learn the ropes of what we'd done and then apply that. And we learned to work together and in the way that I had with the Kashapriya, and it was a kind of relatively smooth handover. Thank you. This has actually been really fascinating <laughs> to talk with you about all this. Um, Dharma Chakra has been really the driving force in developing and launching a new online space for the Triratna Buddhist community um, as a whole network of practitioners around the world. Um, would you share some of this vision behind the project? Hmm. And um, what do you think is needed as we move into the future? Hmm. Well, in 2008, um, Freebird Audio had been live for a couple of years. We just redesigned it for the first time, and it was now definitely being used, and people were aware of it broadly in the Triratna Buddhist community. And I was still doing a lot of going around centres, giving talks about it, and trying to encourage people to use it, etc. I'd moved to the US, and I was travelling back to Britain a couple of times a year for meetings around the Triratna Buddhist community generally and how it organises itself, etc. And one of the things that was becoming apparent was that we were we were really lagging behind online. We didn't really have a very coherent web presence. We had a website that was quite nice and did a certain job, but it was static. And I guess the social networks had started to happen. And I was, again, probably one of the only people who used them and was thinking about them. And I suppose it occurred to me in those conversations that we could start to try and replicate what we had in real life, as it were, a network of people around the world organising themselves and practising together and being in dialogue with each other. 
uh, in relation to kind of coherent set of teachings. So lots of local colour and variation, but fundamentally a community of people based around a set of Dharma teachings and, and practices in their lives that they had in common. Mm. If you're a Mitra in Germany and you travel to India, you'll be recognised as a Mitra at Buddhist Centre. And you'll, you'll recognise what people are doing by and large, despite the language and cultural differences. So in the course of these discussions, we were talking about what a, what a new, revised, refreshed Triratna web presence might look like. And um, it seemed to me that we should really, again, go back to basics, look at what it is we're trying to do, look at the community we have and see how we could effectively and adequately represent that online. And it was a very interesting discussion. Uh, it, at the time, I think, in the Triratna Buddhist community, there was a very active and passionate discussion going on broadly about what you might characterise as coherence and diversity. So to the extent that we're a unified spiritual movement and community, we need a coherent set of teachings and practices. To the extent that we want to do justice to people's local experience, we need to be flexible and broad enough to allow experiment to go on and change to go on and evolution to go on and thinking and practice and all those things. How do you marry those two together? And we're having that conversation about our, our kind of real world structures, Buddhist centres, institutions. But it seemed to me, in a way, exactly the same conversation online. If you were going to have a big website and it was going to adequately both represent coherence of teaching and practice and approach and adequately represent the wide rainbow people community that we have going on around the world, how would you do that? And I, I suppose I found that kind of, again, a proposition that had lots of exciting possibilities and implications. And again, I I suppose I found that most people didn't really think of it like that and didn't really see the need, etc. And I think, again, that the world was only just starting to change. Well, you know, most people didn't know what Facebook was in 2008. Certainly most people weren't using it at that point. It was still limited, I think, to, to US colleges. So I knew what that was and I, and I was, you know, dabbling in social networks myself just to see what, what they were about and where they flash in the pan or where they're going to be something that's sustained. Twitter, I don't think, existed in 2008. So, I mean, that's the world, or it probably did actually, it probably started around about 2008, but the world has changed so fast. Mm. The idea in 2008 that Facebook would have, uh, I think, now more than a billion active users every day. It's just, it's, making it making it you know bigger than the world was in the 1840 or something like that you know it's like you know it's one of the biggest countries on earth facebook so that that kind of reality just didn't exist even though iphones had come out and people that was having a big effect on the culture and, and the way people consumed information so we started to have a series of conversations and many many people had strong views about it and vested interests in it and it was a very long process between 2008 and 2010, really, of conversation with people about what this might be and how it might work, and and then trying to get everybody to sign up and have some kind of cooperative approach. And that was before we'd even really looked at the money side of it, all that stuff. So, again, a very long, a long gestation period and a lot of planning, a lot of design, a lot of thought into structure. Mm-hmm. How to how the deep structure and information, and I guess the the guiding principle was how do you reflect what actually goes on? So you're not trying to sell people the abstract concept of a website. You're trying to say, well, what do you do already in your practice with each other? 
And how can you have an online aspect to that that both helps you do what you already do better and extends the range of what you can do and extends the network of connections? A spiritual community is only a network of, of connections and friendships. And in a way, we want to take the friendships that built our team and apply the values of that to this website that was going to try and uh, evoke and manifest the, the great network of connections that is the Triratna Buddhist community and order online. And we're still really in the early days of that, even though the site has now been up as a social network for six months and live as a kind of information portal for longer than that, over a year. Mm. It's absolutely the earliest baby step days mm. of how do you manifest a private community because Facebook is so broad in general everyone in a way has a reason to sign up you can connect with your friends that's great and your family and you can share information but to start a specific social network where the emphasis isn't on it being a social network it's on the fact that it's a community of practice with a very particular focus and and I, I thought it would be really great if we could um, find some way to manifest all that online and make it a space that actually let you practice while you were on the internet. I think a lot of people, and maybe even now still, tend to, to think of the internet as not part of their practice. But actually, you know, practice isn't just meditating or going to the Buddhist class. Practice is every moment of every day. And what you do with your mind makes your world. That makes your experience. And I think people can see this online very quickly. If you get distracted, mm-hmm. suddenly hours go by. Mm-hmm. And you've watched some great stuff on YouTube and mm-hmm. you've been on Second Life or you've got into emailing people or, or mm-hmm. browsing the news or whatever it is. But mm-hmm. And social networks can also you know, consume you in that way. It's just a constant slow of, uh, flow of distraction and, and engagement. And and those those models that, that prevail there, they, they're... You know, the people who design all these sites that are great, their model is usually advertising based. They want you to be looking all the time and switching from thing to thing and keep you interested because advertisers want eyeballs on the screen. And we, we wanted to, we have the luxury of doing something different. With Free Buddhist Audio, we could give it all away because we owned the copyright. We didn't need anybody's permission. With, um, the BuddhaCenter.com, where we're getting to sort of build it from the ground up and say, well, what are we doing as a community? How can we represent that? And how can we make sure that the experience as much as possible when you're using the site is trying to conduce to be the sort of space that says you can be one-pointed here, you can just engage with one thing. We're not going to bombard you with information to try and get your attention because we don't need to sell you something. We just we just want you to come here and, in, and see what's available and choose to engage with it in a, in a one-pointed, mindful way. Um you can still have, I'm sure, great fun with people on, on the Buddhist Centre, etc. But really we want it to be a space that's about practice and that allows people to extend their personal notion of practice into their online activity. Mm-hmm. And gives them a safe space to do that. It gives them a space where they can, in time, connect with their friends and with colleagues and with people who inspire them. They can mm-hmm. see what's going on around the, the world. And that's what the work of the next year is going to be, is really trying to build up that, that basis of connection. So the moment you can uh, join projects and groups on the Buddha Centre and, and connect with people that way, very soon you'll be able to um, have your own individual practice space and connect with others on the basis of, of that in the way that you do on Facebook. And in a way, once that network of connections starts to appear, 
it's a way for people to look and see what the Triana Buddhist community is. So I think once people see these networks of connections just appearing, and that's their way into inspiration, and that's their way into to a sense of community, and a sense of what they're belonging to. In a way, when somebody says, what is the Triana Buddhist community, you just show them that, and say, well, it's all of these people doing all of these things. Mm-hmm. And that says a lot more than any abstract discourse can say. And of course, you can then connect with people, watch their videos, listen to their talks, read their inspiring posts and their blogs, etc. And um, I hope that actually, in a way, that just that just shows the world what's possible when a group of people decide to come together on the basis of values mm-hmm. and to figure out what that means. I mean, that's what Triran has always been about: is kind of taking the Buddhist teaching, trying to apply it in the modern world, trying to figure out together what that means and what it looks like and why it's important and it changes people's lives Mm. and giving people that opportunity online when they happen to be nowhere near a Buddhist centre in real life or you know we've we've had people all all over the world really connecting with us and Mm. and sort of saying this makes a difference Mm. you know Mm. being able to see this makes a difference it's a fantastic resource and um, again, the, the the care and the attention and the creativity that's gone into visioning the possibilities is remarkable. So your work and your work with others, I think, because particularly you mentioned, you know, bringing in all sorts of different people. You yeah, put a lot of effort. There's into a lot it. of collective work yeah. goes into, and it has to be like that. It, you know, there's a team here who work very hard. You're you're part of that team. You've been an integral part of that process. We work very hard to kind of bring these things into being and then develop them and and all on, you know, less than a shoestring budget. We don't have mm. hundreds of thousands of people working for us. We don't have billions of dollars of, of investment every year to make a social network. Mm. And and it takes a long time. Every every single Chiratna situation in the world is autonomous. It takes a long time to get everybody talking to each other and mm. in a harmonious way that results in something concrete. So you do need patience, but we've had you know people starting to work with us very seriously um, in the US and Europe um, who don't work for Dharma Chakra, but they're now beginning to see it as part of their job to give their time and energy to this kind of context because it helps them do what they already do better. And and we're really really only at the start of it, and I suspect it'll be a couple of years again. That's what Three Buddhist Audio before it really takes in the deep culture of our own community and has a real impact, but. The sky's the limit, really, with it. Mm-hmm. And it will necessarily be developed by the community. It's very decentralised. We've, In a way, we've built a gigantic Buddhist centre with infinite rooms and said, come and, come and do what you like in these rooms. Mm-hmm. And um, it's still a lot of work, but at least we don't have to do it all ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, well done.